shared some stats from the US, but they're so similar here. And, and, and some of those, just really briefly, because I, I need to, for those that were here last week, I apologise in advance, but it, it, it's a, a good rehash. Yeah, I'm just going to quickly go over some stuff. For those that weren't here, grab, this is only a snippet of what I, what I shared last week, and then I'm going to end. Grab last week's message, because I think it's important for us as Family Life Church. But there's a percentage of people that call themselves Christian has diminished over 50 years in the US, statistically by 30%. So that's a big drop in people that actually affiliate themselves with Jesus. Over 30%, 33% of Christians between the age of 30 and 39 no longer consider themselves Christian. So they were Christian, grew up in a Christian home, but now almost anywhere between 30 to 40% between, between that age group no longer consider themselves Christian. Worse still, they say for those that are young adults that are brought up in a non-believing home, only one in five, 20% actually come to faith. That's staggering. For me, that's staggering. Something's not right. And it's not about our evangelism and how we do all of that. Something's not right in the home and something's not right in the home. Yeah? Things that we can... I believe that we can work on because for that stuff to change in culture, then the culture of the church needs to change. For that to change believers, we believers, we need to, we need to be able to stand firm in Jesus. Like you used to, when I went through Bible college all those years ago because now I'm so old, you know, we used to always hear stuff like sold out for Jesus. But if you said to someone, are you sold out for Jesus, the first impression they get is some fanatical guy on a milk crate at a corner preaching in language you don't understand, you know, that's telling you you're going to burn and go to hell. That's not a sold out Christian. Sold out Christian is one that solely lives for him, makes decision based on his heart, that before he makes deep and or she makes deep decisions for their family, they spend time in prayer and get a leading from God and the Holy Spirit. They're sold out for him. Yeah? And you and I need to be sold out for him. And so we looked at the book of Ruth because the book of Ruth is an interesting book because in chapter 1, she is actually in a season where people did whatever they want. And I actually truly believe today, society today, people do whatever they want. You only have to see the change, simple change, in when, when I was a child, or even my parents, there was a respect for authority. Whether it was the police, whether it was parents, whether it was teachers, there was a respect. Simple change. Come to today, kids in school, once you get to high school, there's no respect for police, no respect for teachers, and there's becoming less and less and smaller and smaller percentage of respect for parents. Small changes in culture, let alone what's happening in the church. So that's the world that we live in. That was, that was what was happening in Ruth's day. And Judges 21-25 captures that sense. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So this is why we need to work as we jump into chapter 2. And what I said last week was that chapter 1 is a cold season. It's a winter season. Chapter 2, we start to see God's heart come through a handful of people. So you go from this cold, hard climate to this softening, warm climate. And this is what we need to be as a church and as a family. So Father, I'm just going to stop and pray because I think I need to. Um, have your way. Lord, in this message, I pray. Lord, I pray, Lord, the things that need to be rehashed, rehashed quickly and well, but more importantly, God, that, Lord, the words that you want shared, Father, will pierce and penetrate our hearts. 
God, that they'll leave a lasting impact, that we in this place would truly embrace that we are more and more like Jesus with ever-increasing glory. The people who visit this house, that visit us, that meet us in shopping centres, at work, at schools, or wherever it might be, that they actually might see and hear Jesus. Lord, when they bump into us, I pray. Have your way this day in Jesus' name. So one of the things as a family, if we're going to move from chapter 1 to chapter 2 in Ruth, if we're actually going to be a family that people will want to come to, there's, there's something that you and I have to embrace for ourselves but also for those that are around us. When they're in their winter season, before they can move to a spring season, you and I, they, we've got to be patient. Simple. You've got to be patient when times are tough. There's no good whinging and whining like a two-year-old that wants food. Yeah? Mother will come running. Father God will not. Yeah? Because it's in his time. He's ready to run. He's ready to catch. But it's always in his time. So we've got to learn to be patient. As a family, we've got to be patient. What does that mean? That means if someone comes to your house, to this house, and they're broken and they're messed up, and it's been years and their life's not right, and you're like, I'm at the end of my tether. I can't put up with them any... Be patient. God is. Be patient. Be patient. Easy. <laughs> We'd be so good if it was, wouldn't it? Be patient. We've got to be patient. It, you know, spring's coming. It might not be as quickly as we like, but it's coming. It's coming. The other thing I'm just going to run through because I, I need to get to where I've got to go. If we're going to move into a season that's warmer than winter, then sometimes what I said last week was it takes action, action on our part. You can't just sit in your, your winter season and whinge and complain and do nothing. Sometimes we have to pull the finger out. Yeah? Is that good enough? That's a clear enough example, yeah? No, I don't think I can say anything else. Sometimes, we, yes, we trust God, we pray to God, but then the next step in the journey is to be obedient and to do something, to actually do something. Maybe, maybe the change in our circumstance is waiting for us to do something. While we're kicking back going, woe is me, what my life is. Terrible. I was going to choose another word then. My life is terrible. Maybe we should be saying, God, I don't like where I'm at. I pray, I know this is, you need to do something about it. So I'm going to step this way. Because God can choose to do something in your life at an instant, any way He likes. And a really simple, 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 simple example is this He can heal you of an addiction on the spot with prayer, or you can go to a, a program, you know, rehab, methadone, whatever it takes, and He uses that still to heal you. It's still God. Amen. So sometimes we need to do something. And particularly if we want to be family, then we need to look at Boaz, the way he was with Ruth and Naomi, because he looked after them and we need to look after each other. Like we just do as family, we need to look after each other. If I hear another person, this is, I'm now going to step into a place where I'm going to offend people. So please, two weeks ago I talked on offence. Yeah, Remember, you can't be offended and be a Christian. Hear that? cannot be offended and be a Christian. If you don't like someone, you don't like what they look like, you don't like when they talk, how much they talk, you don't like, you don't like their cooking, you don't like the way they drive, get over it! Slap yourself in the back of the head and say, be Jesus! Because it's not up to them, they're doing the best they can. The issue is you, not them! Yeah? 
If I don't get an amen, it means so many of you actually got problems with people right now, right? Like, it's just, it's up to us. If we're going to be a family, I can't hold it against my kids because that's the way that they are. I've got to love them regardless. And sometimes it's so easy. And other times not so easy. Yeah? And that's what it's like in church life. That's what it's like in church family. We have to look after each other. That's why in God's law, yeah, God in the Old Testament protected the poor. And I love that because we've got to live this out as family life church. You know, 1 John 3, 17, 18. This is talking about possessions, but it's about everything. If anyone has material possessions and it sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? If you're holding on to stuff that you've got, you're certainly not going to give of your time. If you're holding on to finance, you're certainly not going to give of your love. Yeah. We need to look after each other. As people walk in, get to know them, love them. Don't leave it to the elders or the deacon possessed or the pastors. Look after them, yeah? Look after them. Family has to be lived out. And I, I know I got jumbled in my words last week, but this week I won't. Our churches need to look more like a hospital yeah, than a country club. Because you and I, we are, I said it last week, I'll say it again, we're the doctors and surgeons yeah, to perform surgery, to love on, to give a diagnosis, to bring healing to those that are broken. That's why people come to our house of God, to be with family that will help them on their journey, that will carry their burdens, not people that will point the finger and go, oh my goodness, you know, oh look, did you know they're still struggling with alcohol? Big deal! Big deal! They're still struggling with pornography? Big deal! The one who knows us best is the one who loves us most. So if God can, please don't call yourself a Christian and not love like he loves. That's just, that's just bulldash. Well, I couldn't go the other word, Russ. I wanted to. For those at home, I'm being, I'm being really PG today. Right? You know, when we're in a winter season, when people are in a winter season, we have to help them understand and we have to understand God is in control. It may not seem like it, it might not feel like it, but God is in control. You know, I think it's safe to say that most of us are aware of what a winter season can be like. Yeah, most of us. I'd say all of us. And sometimes it seems longer than others. And sometimes it feels really unfair. But God is in control. Because of where my wife finds herself in burnout, at a place that affects her in her mental health and in her physical health, I've been reading different books. So one of the books that I'm currently reading by John Mark Connor, I started, <laughs> what's really sad, is I started reading this book for me before Mel was diagnosed with burnout. Now that she's there, I have to finish it. Anyway, so it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a brilliant book for any Christian, even not even a Christian, someone that's just busy in life. This is a brilliant book. And let me read something he says. There's an emotional and even spiritual weight to life. We all feel it, especially as we age. As e an easy life is a myth. If not a red herring, the byproduct of an advertising drenched in social media duped culture. <laughs> I love that. Life is hard, full stop. No comma, no but, no endo. 
Any note, he not don't. I'll get there. All the wise men and women of history have said as much. No new technology or substance or pill will ever erase humanity's fall. Best case scenario, we mitigate its effects as we advance Jesus' return. But there's no escaping the pain. We've all been there, yeah? And, and, and this is what I love because then he goes on. And he says, why do you think there's so much addiction in our world? Not just substance abuse, but the more run-of-the-mill addictions to porn or sex or eating or dieting or exercise. I love that he throws that in there. Or work or travel or shopping or social media or even church. Yeah? People all over the world, outside the church and in, are looking for an escape, a way out from under the crushing weight to life, this side of Eden. This is why, this is why family is so important. But there is no escaping it. The best the world can offer is a temporary distraction to delay the inevitable or deny the inescapable. That's why Jesus doesn't offer us an escape. Yeah? He offers us something far better. He offers his apprentices a whole new way to bear the weight of humanity with ease at his side. Yeah? At his side. Are we not? Does the Bible not say that we are his hands and feet extended? Yeah? At his, this is why family is so important, like two oxen in a field. This has got nothing to do with weight, just in case you're thinking, right? This is what he wrote. Alright, like two oxen in a field, tied shoulder to shoulder with Jesus doing all the heavy lifting. At his pace, slow, unhurried, present to the moment, full of love and joy and peace. An easy life isn't an option. An easy yoke is. In other words, God is in control. Trust him. People come into this place looking for God and they find him in their, yes, their own personal time, but they find him in us, working through us for those around us. Family is so important. Maybe we haven't done this well in our own homes, and that's why as our kids get to young adult age, we see fewer and fewer walking with the Lord. Maybe we haven't done this well. You know, last week, again, I'm just moving really quickly. We talked about to, to, to bring that, that right heart of family, one of the things is we've got to rightly respect and protect women. You know, if we want a family revolution, you know, for, for lack of a better word, then in this culture, then there needs to be a right way to respect and protect women. It, it was the respect of women that was in the mind of Boaz. That's what Boaz, he was protecting Ruth, flat out protecting her. Yeah? And so as men, we need to respect women, not as a lesser person, but as our equal. Yeah, We need to protect them and we need to love on them. And sometimes in life, before spring comes, yeah, who knows that there can be setbacks? There can be setbacks. But for whatever reason, Ruth didn't allow her setbacks to deter her. Or to set, to, she didn't allow her setbacks to set her back. Yeah, really simply... We can't let setbacks dictate our seasons. We can't. Spring's coming. If you think about in Scripture, Shadrach, Meshach and Bulbar had to walk through the fire before they got to Jesus, yeah? They, they, they still had to walk through what seemed like a setback. You know what? We're not going to do what you want, King. We don't care. We're just going to, you know, well, it looks like our lives ended. That's a, that's a fair setback. 
would you say? All of a sudden, you get someone that says, by the way, I'm going to throw you into a fire, you're going to die. I figured that that could be, you know, we could assume safely that that's a setback. Yet they chose still to walk into that setback and with that setback, and what happens? And God turns up. We can't allow setbacks to define who we are as children of God, as family. Yeah, we cannot. We cannot allow that to, to move us. We have to be steadfast in, in that. Now, I'm jumping into Ruth now, verse 7 of, verse, uh, of chapter 2. Whew, okay, that was good. I've got time. She said, please let me glean. I touched on this last week, but it's important. And gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for the short rest in the shelter. She stuck to the task. Ruth worked really hard. Sometimes if we're in our dark, dry, cold seasons and we're trying to move to our springtime, it's going to require some really hard work. Some hard work. Someone has to hear this. Some hard work. Please, don't just pray to God and expect stuff to happen. God's not Harry Potter. Yeah? Doesn't wave his wand and go, bing, it's there. He doesn't do that. Can he? Absolutely. Do we see him do some freaky stuff sometimes that's exactly like that? Absolutely. But if we're waiting for that to happen all the time, we could be standing in front of a bush that's dry, wet and dying and it'll never catch fire. Yeah? Sometimes we've got to do something. We've got to work hard. And Ruth worked hard. Last week, the examples I used last week is that people that are in a relationship, we all pray for good relationships. But if that's all that we did, it'd still be a terrible relationship. Husbands, if you don't work on your wives, if you don't massage those calloused feet, if you don't take them out for dinner, if you don't romance them and buy them flowers, then your relationship will always be what you're currently getting. But same, women, if you don't, do something for your men. If you just pray and expect them, you know, oh Lord, my husband, he's so woeful, God, change him change him? God just slapped you as soon as you said that. Because God answered back, love him, honour him, do something, work hard for him and watch how he changes. It requires something on both sides, both, both parts. We can't just pray and, and he, Ruth worked hard. Well, I was watching Chris and Crystal. For those at home, I don't know if you know Chris and Crystal. You won't see them. Chris and Crystal over there. So anyway, they've got their, their two young boys. Yeah, and, and I'm watching backwards and forwards as the kids are walking. And I always get confused. Who's the youngest? I should remember Hudson because of Hudson Hawk. Sorry, I had a blonde moment. And so Huddy was walking across here. Did you see him? Like, it was so cool, right? He's dancing and he's clapping and he's doing all of that, right? Just in the presence. You know, obviously, they, you know what that shows me? They're people that play music and worship at home, yeah? Anyway, I, I don't know how many times they had to pick up Huddy. Yeah? And inside, I'm laughing because I go, how cute's that? And then the other voice goes, oh, man, I don't miss that. Yeah? Because if you want to bring up your kids in the things of God, hear me, yeah? drag them to church. Don't allow them to dictate your timetable. I can't bring them to church because they sleep. Oh, seriously? That's ridiculous. You know what? Drag them into the house of God and see what the Holy Spirit does. And maybe I'm preaching like a preacher from 100 years ago, but in his house, he's much better than his bedtime at home. 
Maybe, just maybe. Anyway, I'm looking and thinking, you know what, that is hard work. But they're doing the right for me, for me. Again, this is not criticism, it's commentary. You can't hold offence because I said two weeks ago, you can't be a Christian to be offended. So for me, they're doing the right thing by bringing their kids to church, but it's hard work. You can't just pray, oh God, when I go to church this morning, please, can you make sure that my kids sit still like statues? That's right, you heard snorts and laughter because everyone's thinking, oh yeah, as if that's going to happen. And then every once in a while, you get that family that comes and that's exactly what their kids do. And you want to send them to a church down the road. No, you don't, you don't. Because you're thinking, my kids were never like that. And then they'll tell you about their wonderful parenting process that's made their children perfect. Yeah, as if you've done something wrong with your own kids. So then you're almost erring on the side of the fence. Yeah? Regardless of where you're in there, don't get offended and know that everyone puts in hard work with their kids. You can't just pray and expect it to happen. Yeah? You can't expect relationships to happen. You can't just pray that you'll get promoted at work and yet be lazy. Sometimes it requires hard work. Family requires hard work. When one partner's sick, who's going to pick up the slack? Yeah? I'm finding that more and more now, like flipping heck. You know, I've got to cook more than once a year. Like, what's going on? Like, that's why I'm losing weight. I'm wasting away with all the cooking I'm doing. <laughs> Tell me what people are laughing. I really hope it's in support. <laughs> it's hard work. You know, verse 8 reads, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go, don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. I, I, I like Boaz. I actually love his thoughtfulness. But what I love is his, he says, Go and get a drink from the jars the men have filled. Filled. Not field. Filled. Filled, filled, filled. As family, yeah, my kids don't have to do anything for the food and drink in our fridge. As they get older, I wish they would. But, but, for the moment, yeah, come and get a drink from the jars that your parents have filled. Come and get something to eat from the plates and bowls and pots that your parents have filled. Come and sleep in a bed from the house that your parents are paying for. You, I'm drawing a picture here. Someone comes into the house. There should never be jealousy because the house decides, come and get a drink, come and get a meal. Let the church give that to you. Let this person help you with that. Come into the house and experience the favour of God. Yeah? Ruth experienced the favour of God in our home. Our children experience the favour of God. If you're from a European home, you could be 50 and still experiencing the favour of God in your homes. But the point is that we should be loving on people with what we have. Yeah? I love the fact that he said, don't go anywhere else, stay here and we will look after you. Kids, don't go anywhere else until you're 18 or 19 or 20 or we'll talk about it. But for now, right, for now, stay here and you'll be blessed. Stay here and you'll be blessed. 
That is such a picture of God pouring out his favour on his children. And so when people come in here broken, distraught, looking for God, what does God want to do? He wants to pour out his favour on them, doesn't he? It's what we do for our kids in our houses. It's what we need to do for our family in this house. That's how God's family, that's what we should look like. You know, Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 35 reads this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, that's a movie, sorry. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I want to say this. This is not about creating a hippie commune, right? I'm not into that. Don't want to see long hair. Don't want to, don't want to see bright flowing dresses. And, and, and I really don't want to see ever hear tambourines in this church ever. Anyway, right? So it's, I think, I'm sure we've got it in our constitution. No tambourines or cymbals. No, no, that, that's why it's locked in there. Um, it, the point is, it says here, for me, no one claimed. I know later some of them sold what they had and brought it to be distributed, yeah? And I know people, and, and I, I, I love stirring the pot. I'm having a lovely debate on social media at the moment because I've got Christian brothers who think that being wealthy is opposite of God's heart. And I think that being wealthy is harder for you to walk with the Lord, but there's just as much blessing in that place because if it's not for the wealthy, we wouldn't have hospitals, schools, missionaries being supported all over the world. There's a thousand things. I could go on and on and on and on. But, and, and often when you speak to those people who are wealthy, that have, I'm going to say, been blessed. It's not to say that we're not blessed when we're not wealthy, but there's been favour on their business, on their work. I've seen them. I know people personally who've sold homes and cars and houses and given it away for the work of the kingdom. I've seen that. It, people do that. But at the beginning of this, when it says no one claimed, what for me, the way that I interpret it is this. They had possessions. Some of them owned their homes. You know, they had to live somewhere, had to feed their own kids. Yeah, But... They never claimed it as their own, even though it was theirs. They, choose, they chose to use what was theirs to bless others. They never said, this is mine. Yeah, you know, kids. Oh, no, 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 this is mine. You know when you get a kid's toy? They took my toy. Slap. Right, you know those, those moments? I, 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 no, you don't slap the child. It's when you slap the, the toy out of their hand because they've got to learn to share. Anyway. Some people go to funny places. <laughs> they didn't claim it as theirs. It was theirs. It was totally and entitled to them and they paid for it. It was theirs. But they chose not to make it theirs and they chose to share it for those that were in need. That's what, it's, that's what family looks like. Yes, it's my house. Of course it's my house. Mine and Melanie's house. But my boys can come and go anytime they like. They don't need to ask permission. I don't claim it as, well, occasionally I do if we're having an argument. But outside of that, outside of that, yeah, they can come and go as they like. 
People in this house, we've got to learn that people will come and if we've got something, yes, it's yours, you don't have to sell it up and give it all away, but don't claim it as yours because sometimes maybe God's going to just prick you in the heart to say, hey, use some of that. Give some of that. And if you're holding it so tight, you'll never receive the blessing that God's trying to put into your other hand when you give it away. Yeah? This is what family looks like. They were glad to use what was theirs for those in need. And in this family, this is what our kids and their kids, our kids, this is what they need to see. Our kids need to see that we're not driven by material possessions. Nothing wrong with having a material possessions. I'd love to have a, you know, like, I would love to have a second house and a third house and maybe one day if I actually get some proper, you know, financial coaching, maybe I will, who knows? I know there are people in this place that do and good on them. Good on them because it positions them to be able to be a blessing when the time comes and when God calls. That's how it works. I don't know why there are some churches that are so afraid when people are wealthy and they, you know, they, they, they preach that scripture. It's easier for a, you know, a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Well, actually, in Africa, it was an elephant to go through an eye of the needle and Jesus didn't say it was impossible. The picture, you would assume it was impossible, but the whole idea of that picture is to say we can't do it on our own merits. Man, anyway, context, verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? You know what? All of today is about this one line. Family, you noticed me. You've got to hear this. You noticed me. You noticed me. You noticed me when I was broken. You noticed me when I had my addiction. You noticed me when my relationship was falling apart. You noticed me in my mental health issues. You noticed me when I was unwell. You noticed me when I was far away from the Lord. You noticed me. Me. That's what it's saying. You noticed me. You didn't see what was outside. You saw what was inside. You noticed me. When someone chooses to have their 20 cent worth nothing opinion about your kids, right? Like, I know there are parents here that have experienced this. Your child, he's so naughty. Really? I don't see that. And they're thinking, you must be blind. It's like, no, 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 no. You see what he does on the outside. You haven't seen him or her. You haven't seen them. You're just looking at what's going on on the outside. And here, this scripture, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you noticed me? Man, if church could get that. You noticed me. My friends wouldn't have had a story that said we haven't been to church for a couple of years. If their church, the churches that they visited would only have noticed them, noticed what they needed, where they were at. You know, I so love that. You noticed me. In all of my confusion, you noticed me. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. Isn't that family? Man, my kids could do stuff to drive us insane. But it doesn't matter because we know them. My girls, when they were growing up, 
didn't matter if whether they played out, whether they were perfect or not perfect, but we knew them. And I often, I often say to people, when they've got an issue with someone, do you know that person? Yes. Is that their heart? No, not at all. Okay, then let it go. No, I can't. What? You noticed me. If you know the person, then you can never be offended. It doesn't matter who they are, what they wear, what size they are. It doesn't matter if they filled into a children's coffin or an adult coffin because the height, it matters not. It doesn't matter if they've got grey hair, red hair, no hair. Sorry, John. <laughs> it matters not because we notice them. We notice them. How good is it when you're noticed? How good is it when you're noticed? You can be, it could be the worst season of your life. It could be such a winter, so dark. You could be mourning and grieving and someone notices you. Someone notices something about you. You know, something about your partner. You know, simple things. You did your hair. You vacuumed. You just notice something. And all of a sudden, your day, it just lightens up. Well, yeah, I did. Oh, I like how you look today. I just put on shoes instead of runners. No, you look lovely. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Because people notice, notice, notice. Where churches are supposed to notice. Supposed to notice when someone walks in the door. We don't need new visitor teams and new Christian teams to get people connected in the house. What a terrible way to run a family. Then I would have to say to Sam, hey Sam, when the girls start to get married, I need you to connect with their husbands so that we can get to know them. Make sure you take them out for dinner and then let me know what they're like so that I know them too. Imagine if we did that as a family in a home. How ridiculous. Yet we do it in a church. Hey, you and you, you're really good at greeting people, so we're going to make sure whenever anyone's new, you make sure you say hello, and then I want you to at least call them in the first week and do coffee in the second week, because then I know we'll get them established in the house. Do you know what? Shame on us that we haven't noticed people, that we haven't noticed them. Boaz noticed Ruth, noticed her. Man, I love that. He noticed her. There are people in this house that, you know what? You're noticed. You're seen. There are people that some of you may not even know that I notice go out of their way to make a phone call. Go out of their way to bring a meal. Go out of their way to take someone out for a coffee because they notice somebody that could use some time. They notice they notice. Man, <laughs> Roz, I've noticed you have so been so loving with my wife. You're not sending me texts, but I've noticed. And that is, she, she loves that. Noticed. You know, Vic, I noticed. You know, I loved... Stephen and Anita's wedding, because I got to be myself and have a joke with them, even with Stephen's barring phone during the ceremony. You know, you know, for those that weren't there when they got married, I'm doing the, we're doing the nuptials, you know. And then all of a sudden you hear this, bah, bah. 
At least if it was a wing, I could say, oh, it's God. He wants to have, have a say. But it was a sheep. <laughs> and then for a second, I saw emotion. I thought he was going to answer the phone. But you know what, Vic? I saw the work that you did and the team, I noticed. I noticed. You've got to notice people. You've got to notice. Even, even last week, <laughs> I know we joked about it the other day, but, you know, Patrick, you, you brought that big tray of elephant garlic, yeah? And whether it was yourself or whether it was Jackie. It's probably Jackie, but I don't know who carried the box. But, like, anyone get one of those elephant garlics last week? Like, some of those are, are, can be half a kilo in weight. They're huge. I, he didn't have to do that. I just notice. I notice small things. I notice when someone polishes their shoes. I notice things that aren't important, but I notice important things too. I notice when someone's out in the foyer on their own and someone goes and spends 20 minutes with that person that's by themselves. Because I notice that, but you know what? They notice that person. Yeah, We've got to notice people in the house. We've got to notice our kids. We've got to notice their achievements. We've got to notice when they're doing things. We've got to notice when they pick up clothes off the floor, even if it's a one-off. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for thanking your mum. We've got to notice because that's the house of God. And Boaz notices this young lady. He sees her. And he has this spiritual sensitivity for those around him and the gifts that are around them. And Boaz notices Ruth. It's good to notice. You know, he noticed her kindness. He noticed her. He saw the real her. You and I, if we want to change this culture, then we need to notice people in our homes and in this home. You know, Luke 11, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. Boaz noticed all of this. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We cannot move from a winter season, from a dark, hard place into a spring without a relationship with God. This is key. A relationship with God, it's the key to the Lord's Supper, isn't it? Our relationship with God. Communion. We're communion with God. The communion table is all about our relationship. And I love the fact that at this church, at Family Life Church, we do it weekly. And at this point, we always will and promise to continue to do it weekly. You know, churches of Christ in their history, when they would get to communion, even though, I'll go off camera here, even though the communion table was all the way out here somewhere, right? they would start off with this one line, we've now come to the central part of the service. Because it's all about a relationship with him. It's all about a relationship with God. You know, why do we do communion every week? Because we would be stuck in a winter of sin, if you will, <laughs> without the Lord. So we need to take refuge in God as a family. Whatever we're dealing with right now, we've got to place God first in our life. Not alcohol, not drugs, that's not important. But God. You know, we can try to fix everything in our life, but if we haven't fixed our relationship with Father God, We'll never step into a springtime, ever. We'll never step into a springtime.
And Boaz noticed her faith. He noticed her faith. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvester, she had offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. You and I will never experience a true springtime until we pull out stalks for others. Yeah? Helping others. It's not really springtime if we're right with God, but we're not helping anybody with anything. Yeah? If Jesus is alive in us, then we're going to help others that are around us. Some, sometimes we've got to pull out stalks for people. Yeah? We've got to pull out stalks for people. And sometimes that means that we've got to give money. Sometimes that means that we give meals. Sometimes it means that we give hugs. What is it that you're full of that you need to pull out and give to somebody else? If God's blessed us, if it's a springtime in our life, if we hold on to it ourselves, it's kind of like a false blessing, isn't it? It's kind of like a false blessing. It's only really a blessing when it's passed on to others as well. That's why it's important to love on each other, bless each other with meals and with coffee and with tea. Yeah, tea. It's important to bless people with your talents. It's important to bless people with your time. People need to know that they're loved. They need to know that they belong. And it starts from us. That's what family's all about. And so I want to finish with this. Verse 20 reads, The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. The man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. This is the first of nine mentions in the book of Ruth to the word redeemer. It's clearly a very important thing for us to understand because blessed is the redeemer. And spring came from Ruth, for Ruth, when the redeemer took notice and the redeemer sacrificed. Boaz sacrificed. He was their redeemer. And you and I, we are often the redeemers for people that are around us. We're the ones that are there for them. We're the ones that are looking after them. We're the ones that are caring for them, just like at the moment people are caring for Peter yeah, while they're taking care of something at the moment. We're the ones that step into that place and space. We're the ones that do that. We're the kinsmen, the redeemers. We're the guardian redeemers. You and I are those people. Blessed is the Redeemer. And the reality is that the Redeemer is Jesus. Someone needs to know today that there's a Redeemer that notices you. And that's why I want to have communion now. Yeah? So if you've got your communion cups, let's do this now. Jesus is our Redeemer. He's the one that stands in the gap for us. He's the one that has sacrificed for us. He's the one that paid a huge price for us. He was the one that was willing to forego things in order for us to be brought back into family. And more so, he was the one that noticed us. And in this example, it was Boaz, the redeemer that married uh, Ruth. 
And you and I are now a part of the bride of Christ, aren't we? And so we're going to have communion together. So if you've got your communion cups, while you're taking that, just pray for the situation at hand at the moment as they're organising that. But know that there's a Redeemer that notices you and that loves you. Amen. So Father, we take this communion in memory of you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. And more so, God, we want to be a family that represents all of who you are. And even now, as family care for family, we pray, God, that you would come alongside us and help us to be a people, Father, that, Lord, I know you're proud of us. The one who knows us best is the one who loves us most. So we have this communion today, Father, to acknowledge the fact that you are our kinsman and redeemer and that you will take us from our winters into our springs in Jesus' name. Let's have communion together. Amen. Yep.